this service of nine lessons and carols was originally designed back in 1880 by a person called Edward Benson. He was the first serving Bishop of Truro and soon to become Archbishop of Canterbury. Back then, Truro Cathedral had some building works, so the church met in a really big shed instead, near to the bottom of his garden. Benson wanted to make something for the community that would help them connect and reconnect with the story of Jesus' birth, something that would get under their skin and into their bones and shape them for the rest of their lives, wherever they went, whoever they became, and whatever they ended up doing. So at 10 p.m., just before closing time at the bar, on a chilly Christmas Eve, 138 years ago, in a big cathedral shed in Cornwall, the crowd huddled together, and they went on what they called a journey of heart and mind back to Bethlehem to see the babe lying in a manger. They time-traveled. It was as far from King's College, Cambridge, which this service has become famous for, as it is possible to get. There was nothing fancy. This was about one thing, and one thing only, seeing Jesus. Because they knew that seeing Jesus changes everything. So that's the question for you, and it's the question for me. When was the last time that you saw Jesus? When was the last time that I saw him? This Christmas, this evening, right now, the offer is there again. Can we time travel? Can we see Jesus? One of the best places in the whole Bible to see Jesus is from the beginning of John's Gospel, which we're going to hear read a bit later, but I've put up here in hideously complicated format. It, it was supposed to simplify, but it's the most hideously complicated thing I've ever seen. And I don't think you can even read it, but there we go. Two questions. One, who's Jesus? And two, what's he come for? So firstly, who's Jesus? And the answer is, he's more than just another baby. Four things. Jesus is word, life, light, and God. So first, Jesus is the word. That's the bit in blue. <laughs> Which comes from the Greek logos, meaning the invisible pattern of meaning behind all things. It's a strong start. Jesus is the invisible pattern of meaning behind all things made visible in human form. A famous English actor who died in 1988 could have been speaking for many people today when he wrote his last diary entry. It read, what's the bloody point? Apologies for the language. That's what it read. <laughs> we live in a so-called post-truth, post-secular, post-religious age, which can appear to invite the same question. What is the point exactly of life, of living, of the whole shebang? Are we, are we simply the result of mindless matter, dancing to the tune of our DNA on an infinitesimally small piece of cosmic dust 
spinning aimlessly through an expanding space-time vortex, destined only to atrophy and implode in upon itself, rendering all our loves, our lives and our losses utterly meaningless. <laughs> well, the answer's in, and it's a no. <laughs> Jesus is the Word made flesh. He's the invisible pattern of meaning behind all things. Look at him. And the strangest thing happens. However pointless or meaningless life can appear, pattern, purpose, and destiny become real words about true, unfabricated reality. Jesus is the word. Secondly, Jesus is life. That's in red. (laughs) He's not full of life or a kind of life-giving guy or the life and soul of the party or anything like that. He is life, life itself. Later, when he grows up, Jesus says that he has come to bring us life and life in all its fullness. See him properly and a weird thing happens. Boredom. Bleak, rainy days of work, 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 what one writer called the day-to-day trenches of adult life. These fall away and a whole new dimension of reality appears. In fact, a whole new reality. The Bible gives us lots of pictures to imagine the kind of life on offer in Jesus. One of the best is of a desert that is so hot and so dry Nothing much can survive there, let alone flourish. But then the rains come, flooding the place with water and transforming it into an oasis of life. For me, I often fantasize about the roads in this country. (laughs) It's a weird sentence. I should have rewritten that. Wrong use of it. The roads in this country being turned into garden routeways. So that one day you might be able to walk up the M1 from London to Leeds. Wouldn't that be amazing? (laughs) I might just have gone too far there, but the point that I'm trying to make, laboring to make, is that seeing Jesus is like rain in the desert. He's that life-giving because Jesus is life itself. So this little baby is word and life. He's the invisible pattern of meaning behind all things, and he's life itself. Three, green. Jesus is light. Not enlightened, or light-hearted, or a beautiful, shiny person. He's the, he's the light of mankind, which shines in the darkness, and which the darkness has never mastered this little baby in front of us now. Because remember, we're not actually here in the Ethiopian church. We're in Bethlehem. We've time traveled. This little babe is the light of the ages come to dispel the darkness all around. At a time when the world seems to be facing what many consider to be existential crises, the threat to the environment, energy supplies, migration, War, corruption, modern-day slavery, loneliness, anxiety, and I'm not even going to mention the B word, to name but a few. 
And that's why I didn't mention it, because it already feels awkward. Just don't mention it. Um, it can feel pretty dark out there. If I hear another news anchor say the phrase, we are living in unprecedented times once more, I think I'm going to cry. Partly out of boredom, but mainly because it feels kind of true. But Jesus is the light of the world. And the darkness has never understood it or mastered it. He's the true light which gives light to everybody, including you, including me. That's beyond words, good news. It's why there's so much light at his birth, you can't miss it. Like the star in the east which stops right over the stable. Or the angels lighting up the night sky when they appear to the shepherds in the fields. Light. Everywhere. The world can be a very dark place, but at Christmas we remember Jesus is the light which shines in the darkness and which the darkness has never overcome. So he's the Word, he's life, he's light. And lastly, in purple, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus has made God known. So as we see this little baby lying in a manger, surrounded by smelly shepherds and pooey animals and some wise men carrying probably really symbolic gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh, which I don't really know what that means, actually, we're also looking into the face of God himself. Or flip it over and think of it from God's perspective. Instead of looking down at us from way up high, now... He's looking up at us from way down low. Isn't that amazing? One of the most energizing debates of recent times has been the question of God's existence. Well, the great news, the great news is that at Christmas, we remember that God has made himself known. Instead of us searching for him, it turns out he's been searching for us. Instead of us having to work our way up to him, he's worked his way down to us. If you want to know what God's like, look at the baby. One writer said Jesus was like a glass window, which you can choose to focus only on the glass and see your own reflection mirrored back at you, or instead you can look through it into the world beyond, so that by it you can see everything else. Here's what he wrote. A man that looks on glass On it may stay his eye, or if he pleaseth, it's an old poem, or if he pleaseth, through it pass, and then the heaven espy. Jesus is like a window into heaven, and when we look at him, we see the face of God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. No one has seen God, but Jesus has made him known. So question one, who is Jesus? He's the word, gives us meaning. He's life, transformational life, like rain in the desert. He's a light, a sure and certain power in dark and evil times. And he's God. The search is over. We've come home. Can you see it? Can you see it? Second question. What's he come for? And the answer is to rescue and save in brown. 
To all who did accept him, to those who put their trust in him, he gave the right to become children of God, born of God. He's not just another prophet or wise man or self-help manual or New Year's resolution or good intention or a healthy lifestyle magazine or personal trainer or life coach or learning outcome or 360 degree appraisal or improvement plan or could do better if because all of these things give advice if you do this then that if you eat more healthily you'll be more healthy but Jesus is not advice advice being something you do that's what makes it advice Jesus is good news which is something that's already been done that's what makes it news Otherwise, it wouldn't be a rescue. If you're stuck mid-ocean and the boat finds you to say, good luck, mate, we're all rooting for you back home. Hope you make it okay. And here's some advice on how to survive the open seas on your own. That's not a rescue. That's just unhelpful. (laughs) But Jesus is on a rescue mission. Jesus is on a rescue mission. And that means that the only thing we have to do is to let him rescue us. Put up your arm, wave the white flag, send a flare up into the sky, do anything apart from nothing. And before you know it, you'll be drinking a hot cup of tea in the boat heading back home safe and sound. Jesus has come to save. He's God himself on a rescue mission to make all things new. It turns out we're okay. We're not lost. We're going home. To all who did accept him, to those who put their trust in him, he gave the right to become children of God, born of God. The great rescue has begun. Now, unfortunately, there is a catch, and it's a biggie. And the catch is you can miss it, you can miss Jesus really easily. It's in pink. Ferris Bueller once said, I was born in 1980. That would be a joke for anyone else who's born in the early 80s, and not if you weren't, which is probably quite a lot of people. Ferris Bueller once said that life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Christmas is a bit like that. Christmas moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look at Jesus once in a while, you could miss it. Listen to this. The world, though it owed its being to him, didn't recognize him. That means irreligious, anti-religious, unreligious types who we in the church can sometimes have in our minds when we think of people who've missed Jesus. But now listen to this. He came to his own and his own people would not accept him. That's the religious, the holy the pat me on the back, I got this Jesus stuff sorted, types, probably a bit like me. So the catch is a huge one. Whoever you are, irreligious or religious, you can miss it. You can stare and stare at Jesus and not realize you're actually looking into the face of God. You could be staring at the sun and think, nah, there's nothing there. You can miss what's hidden in plain sight in front of your eyes. The world did not recognize him, 
and his own people would not accept him. So Merry Christmas. That's a joke, yeah. Um, There is good news. The good news is that there's a very, very simple solution, which is this. Look at him. Really look at him. This Christmas, really look at Jesus. See him. A long time ago, they talked about beholding Jesus, an old word which means to observe something remarkable. Seeing is believing, and Jesus changes everything. So back to the start. Truro, shed, Christmas Eve, 1880. Journey, heart, mind, time travel, Bethlehem, baby. And these words which we opened the service with tonight. Beloved in Christ, be it this Christmas time our care and delight to prepare ourselves to hear again the message of the angels in heart and mind to go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, and the babe lying in a manger.